Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Meredith Vieira, and our special guest, author of It Ain't Over Till It's Over, available now on iBooks, Marlo Thomas. It's always a thrill to be with my friend Marlo Thomas, but particularly today to celebrate. This is her seventh book that's been published. I think she deserves a round of applause just for that. And it is called Reinventing Your Life and Realizing Your Dreams Anytime at Any Age. It ain't over till it's over. And what Marlo has done is you've compiled 60 stories of 60 very inspirational women who actually reimagined their lives later in life and dared to follow their dream to fruition. And you call them the reinvention generation. Why yes. do you use that term? Well, because they're starting over. It's not so much reinventing yourself as it is going back for the dream you really wanted. One of the things that I learned, we did the, the, uh, a, a print piece of this on my web series uh, on MarloThomas.com, which is a very brilliant name that I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> we just got millions and millions of clicks for all of the stories that we were doing. And I realized that as the mail came back in, women were saying, oh my God, that's me. You know, so, so many women, it isn't so much that you think to yourself you might like to start over, some, some may, but a lot of the times our economy forces us to start over, our, a life condition, you know, your, your husband dies or you get a divorce, you get laid off, you lose your home, you're, you're, uh, you have an empty nest, you're 42 years old and your kids have a driver's license and they don't really need you anymore. So what do you do at 40 years old, you know, when you may have 50 years left, that's the amazing thing. This is not something our grandmothers used to think about. You know, so when you're through raising your children uh, at 40, the marketplace isn't really open for you, you know? Uh, the culture really isn't open for you. You have to think, again, maybe a new dream. And I think a lot of women are afraid to even imagine that dream at that point in their lives. Right. They just do assume, I can't possibly accomplish it. Well, one of the things I learned uh, myself from meeting all the women in this book is that sometimes we think too big. You know, it's all right to think big as long as you start small. So you, you know, you're not going to get, this one woman I, I met, not in the book, but a woman that I met outside of the book, told me that she invented something that was really wonderful for mothers and grandmothers, and she took it to QVC, and it didn't sell, they didn't buy it, and she was crushed and rejected, and I said, why are you thinking so big? I mean, take it to Jimboree, you know, taking it, take it to, you know, uh, Brooks Brothers, take it to, a toy, to Toys R Us, take it to another, to a smaller place, take it to a small local store in your neighborhood. The idea of you starting that big, you know, you haven't even tried, tried it out yet. Let's see how, what's wrong with it. Let's figure it out. You know, you started this series on the web, so why did you decide you wanted to do the ebook and the hardcover? Because the on the web you get you wait every week and you get one story. This way and it has a great impact, but there's something about reading this a lot of them at a time. You won't read all of them at the same time. But I did what after we put the book together and then I'd been away from it for a few months and then I wanted to just go through the whole thing. And by the end of it I thought, Wow, this is like a map. This is a map for how to do it. It's not just, a, ain't it great, they did so, all these wonderful it's things. It's how they did it. Yeah, it's how they did it. And some women figured it out. You know, They thought, well, I can't do this alone. I, I really need to do this with somebody. So they partnered up with their sister or their mother or their husband or their kid. Uh, some women uh, borrowed on their retirement fund. Some women mortgaged their house. 
one woman in order to get the money to get started. One woman uh, sold, she had a lot of designer clothes and she sold them on eBay. And she lived at her friend's house on a couch. She gave up her apartment and put enough money together so that she could buy a small part of somebody else's store. And she got herself together and now she's got a very important consignment shop. So it's, uh, and, and the other thing I love about these women is that a lot of them took something that they love to do and made a livelihood out of that. And we forget that, you know, that you can do that. One woman um, made jewelry as a hobby and loved to do it. And I think her husband passed away and she had to make a living. She had three kids. She didn't know what she was going to do. She had never been the breadwinner. And a friend of hers said, why don't you start selling some of that wonderful jewelry that you always wear and give to all of us for your friends for presents? So she said, you think? And she said, yeah, try it. <laughs> so she made some jewelry and took it to a local little shop, and they started selling it. And now she's got a real... It's just having the guts to do it, believing yeah, in yourself yeah, to some extent. Yeah. You know? And also taking that leap, because I'm sure there are people maybe sitting here or folks who picked up the book will go, yeah, it worked for that person, but if I clean out my retirement fund and then it doesn't work, what happens to me? Well, exactly. Well, I wouldn't say clean out your retirement, <laughs> borrow something from it. But I think that's what reading the book does, yeah. because it isn't just one story. I mean, if you were interviewing one of the women in my book right now, I don't think it would be as important to the people who will read the book, because when you read 60 stories, then you really start to see so many different maps off the highway of doing it. Absolutely. You know? And I want to get to some of those stories, but the one thing that all these women seem to have in common is they have this it ain't over moment uh -huh. in their lives. So you have worn so many hats, actress, author, activist, outreach director for St. Jude, the wonderful children's research hospital, um, fantastic website that's doing phenomenally well. What was, and maybe you've had more than one of these, what was your it ain't over moment? Well, I think, you know, when I started to get into my 40s and I realized, okay, I'm not going to be that girl anymore. So what You'll is it? You'll always be that girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Un unfortunately, I am going to always be that girl. But, uh, you know, what, what do I want to do with my life? Do I just want to keep doing one television series after another? Well, I really don't and yeah. didn't. I, don't, I didn't and I don't. Uh, I, I wanted to keep doing new things. So I studied acting. I came back to New York and studied acting, and then I started doing serious plays like Virginia Woolf and so forth. And then I started writing books, and when I finished my memoir, Growing Up Laughing, when I put it down, when I was done with it, I thought, I'm going to miss this. I've been writing to a group of women, really, and, and whoever they are, I think I know them, and I'm going to miss this communication I feel with them, and that's really why I created the website. And, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you got your degree in teaching, yes. You're, as an English teacher. Yes, yes. And you basically have been doing that in one form or another. Well, certainly free to be you and me comes Absolutely. from being a teacher. Yeah, and I'm working on a new project for AOL that's about kids. I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm very, I mean, I, it seems my life is kind of an open book. If you look at my life, it looks women, children, women, <laughs> children. It's really what I care about, and I'm excited to always be involved in talking to women and, and sharing stories with them which I do in this book and I do on my website. But I love the idea of starting over. I love the, you know, my mom who gave up singing and to raise a family. And then after she raised us and we were up and gone, she was kind of lost. Yeah. And she said to me, you know, I, you were right. She said, you, you, it's right to keep a career. She said, because I really shouldn't have given up singing and I can't start singing now at 50 years old. And I said, why can't you? 
why can't you start singing now? But she was completely intimidated by being Danny Thomas's wife, you know, and, and, and where would she start and how do you start over? And she just never did it. And we tried to talk her into opening a restaurant because she cooked great Italian food, but she just was too scared. Do you think that was generational? I do. Yeah. I do think that's generational. And I think this generation is doing something very different, which is instead of looking backward and saying, oh my God, I've already lived 40 years. We're looking forward and saying, oh my God, I've got 50 more years. So it's a complete switch from what you looked at and where you're looking toward, what you're looking past or forward. And the forward is exciting. You know, you um, sort of, you didn't poo-poo that girl, but you made a little <laughs> joke about it. But I have to tell you, that came out, I think, in 1966. Uh-huh. And I was 13, going on 14, and I grew up in East Providence, Rhode Island, and I so appreciated that show because it showed kids my age at a time when girls were not being encouraged right, right. to do what they wanted to, but rather what they were told to do. Right. You were this young woman making it on your own in New York City as a struggling actress. Right. And I loved at the end that you didn't get married, which is right. what the producers wanted. Right. wanted. But that, that had a big impact on me and so many women my age. I think that's the first time that that kind of a show it was. existed. Yeah. She, she was the first one. Uh, Bill Persky, who created that girl, always said that that girl threw the hand grenade into the bunker and all the other <laughs> women's shows came after it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was very revolutionary for its time, but when it went on the air, it got a 40 share, which of course is impossible today right? Uh, with all the TV channels. But it's because it really wasn't as revolutionary as everyone thought, it was kind of a fait accompli. There was a, that girl in every home in America, like you, just waiting to be told, oh, that's what I can do. And so many women have told me, I interviewed Jill Abramson, the editor of the New York Times, uh, it's up today actually on the website, on, and Huffington Post as well. And she started the conversation by saying, oh God, when I was a kid and I watched that girl, it just I never missed a show, I wanted to be that girl. And it just amazes me. I said, well, look how well you turned out, you know? I used to love when you went into, was it Horn and Harnet? Is that the name of the place? Yes, and you right. made your, the hot water and the right. tomato sauce? Right. Right. It's great. <laughs> well, I want to talk about some of the women in this book um, yes. because they're all, all, all 60 stories are really fascinating. They are all different in their own way. First up, I know this is one of your favorites. It's Jamie James, a yes. mom of four kids, an attorney... Uh, a family law attorney, right? Um, living a nice life, but right. she had this idea. She's like me, and probably a lot of you. She, all of her junk would fall in her purse, so she could never find her cell phone, her keys, whatever. She wanted to figure out a way to keep those all compact in one little container. But it was just an idea. She wasn't really going to follow through on it. And then she had something happen in her life that changed everything. Well, uh, what happened is she was the lawyer. She was very depressed by the way she was living. I mean, she was working with divorce cases and custody cases, and it was depressing to work that way. And so she decided she wanted to make something. So she made it for herself. She made like a little wallet for herself out of cardboard and cloth uh, where she could put her cell phone, her keys, some money, and a, an express card, a, a, a credit card. And also she put a little a wristlet on it so she wouldn't lose that. I love, and I've got myself one right away, and I've given it to all my friends. It's called the Cell Folio. And she was having a dinner party one night uh, with her girlfriends and their husbands, and she said she didn't want to ask her girlfriends because they knew they'd, they'd just be supportive. Exactly. So she asked the husbands, what do you think of this? And they asked her a whole lot of questions, and one of the husbands said, 
well, where can you put a lipstick? Because I always have to carry my wife's lipstick, <laughs> you know. And so she made this thing, first out of cloth, but it got dirty. So she made it out of leather, and it's a huge business. And, you know, my housekeeper who read the book and has been with me like 25 years and is like a sister to me now, she said, why didn't we think of this? I mean, Exactly, it's, so it's one of those, yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, made millions of dollars. I could have thought of this myself, for God's sake. But she also, which I thought was really incredible, she talked about how... She lost her mom and dad, too. They both, oh, both developed right. the H1N1 virus oh, that's right. at the same time and died right. within days of each other. Right, right, right. And that's when she first started right. to realize life is short. And what they did was move, I guess, from Massachusetts to yes, New Hampshire. Yes, that's right. I'd but, forgotten yeah, that. Yeah. But because, that, because her parents died, she thought, I don't want to live this right. depressing life anymore where I'm always talking about divorce and child custody battles. I want to do something that's going to make me happy. She wanted to be happier, and she felt that somehow if she could figure out this little idea of hers that she'd had years ago and make it a reality, that she would find herself in the process. Right. And she refers to this. It's not just the self-folio. She says it's a rebirth yes. for her, and I thought that was yeah, a lovely yeah. way to look at it. It is a lovely way, and that's why any word you use, whether it's rebirth or reinvention or starting over... We all know what it means. Mm -hmm. It means going back to yourself and finding yourself and finding your dream. You know, uh, one of the women in the book that I like very much, Gailey McCracken, who uh, was 38 years old and she was a graphic artist, a very good graphic artist. She was making a fine living, doing well. But um, she was uh, in, asked to make a medical brochure, you know, a, the, arc, the uh, graphics for a medical brochure. And uh, as she was working on it, she said to her colleague, you know, this kind of, hurts my heart to work on this because I really always wanted to go to med school. But her father had said to her, oh, marry a doctor and you go to school and get a job and take care of yourself, which she did. She took his advice. But she still regretted it. And she said to her colleague, you know, I, I wish I'd done it. I really regret, regret it. And the colleague said, well, you know, you're, you could still go to med school. She said, I'm 38 years old. By the time I'm a doctor, I'll be 50. And she said, we're going to be 50 anyway. <laughs> so, so why not be a doctor and be so, 50? Exactly. So she became a doctor uh, at 49. She's in her 60s now. She's a practicing doctor, and she's doing what she loved to do. So she went back and got that dream. So it wasn't that she uh, was downtrodden or any of the other uh, ways in which society pushes us. This was from her own heart. This was something that she wanted to do. And I, I really res respected that she said, okay, I'm going to go for it. I mean, I'm alive once. Exactly. I want to be a doctor. And she said she didn't feel that her dad had been a chauvinist by saying to her, you know, don't be a doctor, marry one, but that he had had a very tough life yes. himself and had to drop out of school. So he thought that dreams were just for those who were rich. Right. You know, he could afford to dream. And uh, so she loves her dad. She well, you decided know, to, you know, follow his advice and then finally realized. My father tried to talk me out of being an actress. Very hard. Really, but he's oh, an actor. Yeah. He was a yeah. performer. I know, and for that reason, huh? He said, "I don't." Later, he told me, "I just didn't want to relive those first fifteen years <laughs> with anybody that I loved, because it's very difficult to start in your field as well." Sure. I mean, I don't know if you'd say to your kids, "Oh yes, go right into the newscasting business." I well, mean, one of them has actually. Has yeah, just started in oh. Spokane, Washington. Oh, how yeah. great! But we, we didn't suggest it. I think it was in his blood. You know, oh, is it, well, what's his name? We must look for him. Gabe Cohen. He's so cute. I'm oh. the young girls out here, but he's really cute. How he wants to come back desperately. How great! <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, I wanted to be an actress, and my so father, when your father said no, what did you say? He to him? said, "Well, I well, what happened is I graduated from college. Uh, I mean, high school at 16, and I wanted to come back east and study with Lee Strasberg. And my father said, "You're too young to go out of state. You you have to go to college, and you have to learn a trade, and." 
acting, you know, if you get a drama degree, it doesn't get you a job. Mm -hmm. I want you to uh, have a piece of paper that says you're qualified to do something in the world. That's the same speech you made to all three of us, my sister and brother and I. <laughs> anyway, so I went to school for uh, about two years in college, and I was bored stiff, and I wanted so badly to go east and study with Lee Strasberg. And he said to me, first of all, you need an education. You need a job, That's a piece of paper that says you can get a job, and you should not even think about being an actress. It's a terrible job. It's a terrible job for women to travel a lot, um, and it's heartbreaking. And I, I just don't think that, you know, that you've got the kind of background that he had, because he grew up a poor kid. So he thought, well, I grew up a spoiled kid, so I wouldn't have the guts to stay with work it. Work hard, yeah. Little did he know. <laughs> I learned my work ethic from him. And he was a very hardworking person and took his work very seriously. Even though he worked in comedy, he was very serious about it. So anyway, I graduated from college and I handed his, my degree to him and I said, there, Daddy, that's for you. I'm now going to New York <laughs> to study acting. <laughs> and I did. And uh, it, it was a wonderful thing because my father loved me so much and I loved him as well. And it was the first time I just didn't do what he wanted me to do. And it wasn't until he came to see me in London in Barefoot in the Park, which was my big break after years of, it seemed, I was only 22, but it seemed like years um, of working. Um, the day, that night, it was a big hit. I remember my father coming in the dressing room and the theater, my mother was crying. Everybody was so excited. There'd been lots of ovations. It was great. My father walked in. He looked like he'd run the marathon. I mean, I knew that he had lived through every moment of that play with me. And the look on his face wasn't joy or excitement. It was just relief. And he just sat down on a chair like, God, I just could sit down now. <laughs> he was exhausted from the whole experience. And I got it then. Yeah, because you worry about your kids, and you don't want them to yeah. fail. And, and you don't want them to be crushed mm -hmm. by rejection and exactly. failure. And, and this industry that I'm a part of and that you're a part of, you know, easily rejects and dismisses people. So Absolutely. It's, you know. But it's so funny you bring that up. Um, when I was starting and I was in uh, local news in Providence, Rhode Island, on a Friday I got fired. Oh, and the, wow. And the news director said, you don't have what it takes. I've told this story before, but wow. it's that same thing. Rejection. I didn't know that. And I had gone to an all-girls school and I watched that girl, so <laughs> I was like one of these. And that cut me off at my knees. That was all it took to make me feel so insecure. And I went home crying, crying, crying. And my father came in and said, what happened? I told him. He said, well, what, do you think you have what it takes? And I said, yeah. And he said, then why would you care what that oh, guy says? Great. Your whole life is going to be filled with naysayers. That's great. And I went in that Monday and I pinned that guy against the wall. He was a little guy. <laughs> and I basically said, I'm not, you know, I'm going to win in the end. And he rehired me, luckily. Really? But, yeah. I think he was scared of me because I was like a little forceful. <laughs> but, um, but I do think, and I, I'm a good example of a woman that grew up in a strong household, but how easily you can buy into that negativity, you know. Of course. One of the things that I asked Jill Abramson yesterday about the fact that a political had really slammed her, uh, saying that she was a bad boss and all the yeah, kinds yeah. of stuff that people say, and uh, asked her how she felt about that, you know, what was her reaction to that, and she said she cried. Yeah. She cried, and the next day she got up and went back to work. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's what you do. You take the knocks and, and you keep going. Exactly. Just to finish up on, on Gailey, the woman we were talking about, 
uh, her class, medical school, freshman class that went through, there were only five people over the age of 40. She was one, and all the others were women as yes. well. And I thought that was pretty I good. I know, that is and great. she had two sons, and she believes that in large part that's why she did so well in medical school, because she knew how to juggle things. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. So actually, when you think, oh, well, now I've gone down this path that, I, that is of no use because now I'm a mother, well, actually, that prepares you often to be a better Whatever it well, is, when doctor. You, when you think of what a, a mother does, exactly. I mean, she balances the budget. She, you know, she does. A, she's a chauffeur. She's a scheduler. I mean, I think any woman who's run a home can probably run General Motors. I mean, really, <laughs> easily. I don't know how many of you've heard of her. Have heard of Camp Bow Wow? It's the largest um, doggy daycare center franchise in yes. the world, uh -huh. and the woman who runs it is Heidi Ganahl. Actually, she started it. She's one of the people you focus in, focus on in your book because she's a great example of somebody who had a dream, let it go, and went through very desperate times in order to finally see that dream fulfilled. She and her husband, they were y very young at the time, in their 20s, yes, they had and this he, notion. Yes, and then uh, her husband was very adventurous, and for his birthday, uh, the family gave him a... Uh, some kind of jumping out of an airplane uh, uh, present, yeah. present, and uh, or uh, being in an airplane and having it flip over upside down, and there was a terrible accident. They were in their twenties, and he died. And she thought, you know, how would she ever put her life back together? And they had always talked about maybe someday doing a dog care center uh, be because uh, because they had dogs, and whenever they would travel, they just felt awful taking them to these places where they were put in cages and. Or, or, and their places were all dirty and awful. I mean, we've all seen those places. It's, it's upsetting to leave your dog in some certain places. Anyway, they, she created this space that they had talked about, and now she was doing it on her own, this doggy daycare center, where she put cameras so that you could see what your dog was doing. And, the, and they put the little dogs with the little ones, and the big ones with the big ones, and the old ones by themselves that they just wanted to sleep, and the little frisky ones together. I mean, all thought out. And... Um, and fed them and took care of them and um, and then the cameras so that when you were away on a trip you could uh, you know blog in and see it. I thought that was great. Yeah, but she. What was interesting to me about her was also the fact that once her husband died, she wanted to. You know, they had a business plan, and she wanted to pull it out and and pursue their dream. And her friends and family said the same. Once again, don't right. be impractical. That's not a way to go. That's such a pipe dream. And so she went an entirely different way. She actually remarried, right. uh, had a daughter, I believe, and then they divorced, and she used up, she had a $1 million settlement, eventually got down to, I think it was $83,000. Yeah, exactly, doing what other people had suggested, right. and one business after another failed, and so she dusted off the plan and said, I'm going to do this, right. yeah. and look what happened. Right. It's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's thrilling, really, because um, there it was in the back of her mind, in the back of her drawer, and still in her heart, and she made it happen. And she yeah. had a great line in the book. She said, when you go through difficult times, you really learn who you are, who your friends are, and how to find passion in life. The getting through part, that's what created my resilience and my belief in myself. So sometimes the hardest parts are the most important. Yes, it is. It is. I think for all of us, you know, all of us. What, what is your message to, to women out there? And when you say the reinvention generation, what message do you want them to get from this book? 
You know, I travel so much raising money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And I'm, I'm in rooms like this where people have come, and often it's a lot of women. But this book is for men, too. It's for anybody. I just always seem to point myself toward women. But the women, the people who come to see me are women, mostly. And, and I started hearing from them. There was always a Q&A. And I'm quite touched by the fact when I have a Q&A, they don't really ask me as many questions about myself as they start telling me what's going on with their life. You know, and a lot of them were saying they were stuck. They were stuck. They just, the dream ran out on them. They did not know how to start, out, start again. You know, one woman said, I just got a divorce. I worked all my life and I found out that my husband borrowed on our 401k. I don't know where to begin. You know, and another woman would raise her hand and say, I have just a lawyer for you, see me after. And I saw this dialogue happening with these women. I thought, isn't this great that I'm actually a, a catalyst for them to talk to each other? And another woman raised her hand and said, my second daughter's just gone off to college and I don't know what I'm gonna do. I love my husband, but I'm gonna miss my girls so much. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And another woman raised her hand and said, oh, you are so lucky I have a 26-year-old son, I cannot get out of the house. <laughs> so, so these different experiences, yeah. uh, it, it just kind of, you know, they, it haunted me. Mm -hmm. And I would hear women talking about the fact that they were scared, they, they, where would they get the money? How could they begin? You know, one woman had cancer and she was, was afraid that did she have the strength again to, you know, it's so many all women who took care of their, their parents, their elderly parents. You know, women are just the, you know, the heart of the world. They take care of everybody. And um, at, at, the, at some point, they do look around and say to themselves, so now, when is it my turn? Is it my turn yet? And um, maybe it's your turn when you make it your turn. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think exactly that. And and I hope that's what this book tells people. I hope that they read it and say, "Oh, I can do this. I could have done that." I mean, my housekeeper said, "Why didn't we think of that?" Exactly. You know, self -folio, I, it's so. so it's so it's so easy to think of that. I want to let some of the folks here who might have questions for Marlo get a chance to ask. Don't you find that people are looking to reinvent themselves at a much older age? The people retire from one lifelong work position yes. and decide instantly well into their 60s right. that they're going to be fabulous at something else. No, I, I think you're right. I think it's for people who are, people who have retired, you know, I remember somebody once asked Bob Hope when he was like 85 if he was going to retire and he said, retire to what? You know, and that's kind of how I feel. I don't know what I would do with myself if I didn't have my work. And I think a lot of people are sort of forced into retirement. You know, thank you very much, you're 60 years old, here's your watch, here's your package. You know, and they've got maybe 30 years left. We didn't used to think that way. You know, we're healthier, medicines are better, antibiotics are better, we're living longer. I think the, the average age used to be like 76 and now it's 85 mm -hmm. or something. So. I'm planning on living to be about a little over 100, so I have a lot of work left to do. But I think there's all different ages. There's a woman in the book at 60 years old who was a probation officer, Lee Gale Gruen, and she was told, you know, it was time to leave uh, the probation business, and she didn't know what to do with herself. She had so much energy, and she said, you know, I always wanted to be an actress. I mean, I would have told her, don't even think about it, but she became an actress and she plays grandmothers in commercials and radio shows and things and she's doing very well. So whether you're 60 or 70 or 50 or 40, whatever age you are, or 38, like, like the woman who became a doctor, it doesn't really matter 
when you want to uh, make a new dream come true. I think one of the important things is, is to just know that you have more than one dream in you. You're entitled to more, and you probably have more, many more than one dream inside of you. It's just the then, how do you start? And I think if you think big and work small, you'll get there. But, but you can't just think big and go to QVC with your idea. Yeah, I think you have to have a passion. Yeah, I really yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, it's so sort of that notion of following your bliss. I mean, if, if it really brings you joy and satisfaction, then it probably would be the right path for you. You said if you lived to be 100, you'd want to work. You'd yes, like to, oh yeah. gosh, yes. I'd have to have a lot of work done <laughs> if I wanted to live to be 100. Any more questions? Yep. Um, in your book, um, I imagine you're primarily focusing on people who have successfully gotten through something and reinvented themselves. Um, is there anything in there that also shows the fun of failure, you know, that, that disasters can actually, you know, be invigorating? Yes, a lot of the women failed first. You know, um, I think that w my favorite uh, saying in the world is Ruth Gordon uh, was a wonderful actress and, and writer. And she once said many years ago, never face the facts so you'll never get up in the morning. And I put that in my book. And it's really my motto. If you face the facts, the fact that as, as all these people were told, oh, don't do that and don't, don't go to med school and don't become an actress and don't, don't borrow on your fund and don't do this. But there's so much fear and so much fear of failure uh, that you, you won't get started. I think you just have to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, I'm gonna take a leap, I'm gonna invest in myself, and I'm going to do this. And, I, and, and it does take guts, and it takes resourcefulness. You know, there's a saying, it's not who you know, it's who you get to know. You need to, you need to meet somebody that can help you. You need to make a phone call to someone and say, you know, I need your advice on this, or become an intern at a place where you'd like to work. Everybody's thrilled to give you a job and not pay you. You know, or maybe you could uh, take a class and get a new skill set. I mean, there's so many ways to start. And I think when you read the book, you see, oh, that's how she started as an intern. Oh, they started this way. So there's different ways in which to start, but that's why I say, think big and start small. Because if you started small, six months from now, if you keep doing something every single day, you'll be further along. You'll be much further down the game board. If you, if you do something every single day. Yeah, I, I, I want to applaud you on, on just the fact that to the idea of reinventing yourself. You know, why not? You know, am I happy? Am I, I just got a divorce? Or I just want to say that, you know, it just gave me something to think about. Oh, uh, I'm so glad. I'm yeah. thrilled that you said that. That's just what I wanted you to say. <laughs> there actually is a woman in the book that you profile who went through a very ugly divorce. Um, her husband was cheating on her, and she raised that question, uh, who am I and where am I when life as I know it is over? It's right. like having the rug pulled out from underneath you. And sometimes those kinds of situations I found by reading your book are just what it takes right. to get somebody to rethink their life and to see it differently out of necessity in some cases. But very often there's a silver lining to those situations. And often, uh, and the friends that I've had and my own husband who was divorced before I met him, but when he told me uh, about that whole situation, when he was in this marriage that wasn't working and they weren't happy together, it really depleted him of his joy. 
and depleted him of his, of his feeling positively about things. He was working and he had to stay positive every day to go out and do the Donahue show, but his heart was really hurting about, you know, what did I do wrong and what happened and, 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 and where did I go wrong and all of that, and, and the joy goes out. You know, so when you're unhappy, sometimes things look way bleaker. It's hard to pick yourself up out of that kind of gloom. But then once that experience is over, you know, time does do its job, and you, you heal a little bit every day, and then finally you meet somebody else. Did the woman, did the woman you wrote, like the inspirational woman that you wrote about, did any of them say that they're completely fulfilled and that what they were doing now is, is enough? Oh, uh, I don't Can think any, yeah, I don't know that anybody is ever completely fulfilled. We would never, you know, get up in the morning. We'd say, okay, fine, I've done it, I'm happy. Uh, no, I think most of them were in a state of enchantment with that they had actually made something happen that they didn't think they could make happen. And so there's a, that's a, a it's like falling in love. You, you, you realize that, my God, I can do this. And their life changed. And that's a, it's, as this other gentleman was saying, it's hard to think that you can do it. But if you start slow toward it, you can do it. It's just you can't eat the big apple all at once. You know, I didn't appear on Broadway the first week I wanted to be an actress. I didn't get that girl the first year I wanted to be an actress. You have to do all the steps, community theater, acting lessons, little theater. You have to do everything until finally you get the right audition and you get a big break. Every field is like that. Even the field that you create yourself, which is something that you yourself want to invent. Uh, so I think there's a, a lot of fulfillment. I don't know that anybody in the world is ever completely fulfilled, but it's a lot of fulfillment in, in doing something that you've dreamed about and making it come true and finding the people to help you. Because not everybody can do it alone. Maybe you need your sister or your mother or your brother or your husband or someone to do it with you. And you need to meet more people to advise you. And you need to, as I say, learn a new skill set, be an intern, do all kinds of things in order to, to get to where you want. Yeah, when reading your book, I didn't find that any of the women were, um, you know, Pollyannish about this at all or thought, oh, wow, I'm just so excited because <laughs> they had so much hard work that went into it. So by the time they reached, fulfilled that dream, I mean, I think they appreciated all the steps that it right. took to get there. And some so of them, starry -eyed. some of them did outlandish things. One woman who had an autistic son, mm -hmm. and uh, she really needed to make more money than before because there were special needs and special education and things, and she was trying to supplement her income. And she was in North Carolina. She and her husband went to a bar one night and and had a, a drink at the bar. And it was very good, and she didn't know, what is this? And the bartender said, well, it's moonshine. And she said, moonshine? Do they still make that? Is that legal? And he said, yes. And so she and her husband traveled around the countryside and found people that could help them, and they bought the, the cotton gin or whatever it is you buy. And they, they make moonshine. And I guess it's legal because she talks about it in we the book. I think at one point it wasn't, though, when she was doing <laughs> it. I think if I remember right. But now she's done incredibly yeah. well. She sells her she sells white her, liquor, it's called. Yeah, um, right. American white liquor in several states, and Disney, believe it or not, in right. some of their um, resorts, right. carries that moonshine. So I mean, and what an outlandish thing to do, and that she just stumbled on. Yeah. It wasn't even a dream Literally. that she'd been carrying. It was just she had a need to make more money. 
Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm just curious to see whether, on the other side of that, what you think about people's willingness to take on board that type of... that change their structure and their thinking about how they might approach... Uh, people coming to them with, with, with looking for, for roles and jobs? Well, I, I think, you know, there are some countries that actually value people with experience and value older people. Um, it's, a, it's a society, it's our culture's problem, too. You know, we value, you know, the new young techies, and, um, and we're all, all of us old techies are trying to get, you know, catch up. But... Um, and there's a lot of, uh, and, we, and we talk about this a lot in the media, that there's a value on, on younger people being in the movies, movies made for boys 18 to 32 or whatever it is. So when you have a culture that's doing that and is impressing that upon its citizens, it, it's not hard to feel, well, maybe it is too late for me. Yeah. So that's why you really do have to have a conversation with yourself and say, I refuse, re I refuse to face those facts. Those aren't my facts. Those are somebody else's facts. And, and find ways in which you can thrive, you can survive. I see that also not just with age, but uh, my husband has MS and uses a cane and is legally blind, and he's a very smart guy, but the amount of prejudice against people with illness. And I think that we need to have a better awareness of people with disabilities. You know, people, even at the airport, will ask me if Richard's in a wheelchair, where does he want to go? And I'm, I'm saying, well, you can look at him in the face and say, where do you want to go, sir? And they're not trying to be mean. It's that you lose your identity sometimes when you're disabled. And I think that all of us should pay more attention to that because we're wasting great talent, throwing it to the side. But that comes with creative employers, too. Um, and, you know, I think I'm starting a show, and I'm very cognizant of that, maybe because of my background. Marlo has been a teacher for all these years. I think is very cognizant of the talent and ability of people. But I, I think your question's a great one and more people should pay attention. Yeah. Good for Australia. Yeah, really. <laughs> Before we wrap, Tuesday, April 29th, is National Day of Reinvention. Yes. So what will you be doing? Oh, I'm going to be <laughs> on a live stream talking to women all over the country. It's a national uh, book club that Judith Kerr, my publisher, invented. This is the second one. You did the first one. What was the book, the, the first book? First one was My Sister's Keeper. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and Judith is such a great publisher. I mean, if you, if you really want to do a book, do it with her. She's just so good. No, she's so good. She's Will you so write and I'll just put my name to uh, it? <laughs> <laughs> this is my third, my third book with, with Judith. Wow. Uh -huh. And one year I went away from her and I came running back. I was really, <laughs> never do that again. Uh, no, she's a great publisher. And Greer, my editor, Greer Hendricks is here and she's a great editor. And they really care and they... You know, I wouldn't be saying this. I mean, the fact that I've been there three times, that, that's proof, right? Um, but, but anyway, they're always thinking of ways in which to expose uh, their authors to the right audience. And the very right audience for me is women around the country who love books, who want to start over, and who are interested in talking about that. So this conversation will be not just about the book, but about them. And we'll have a dialogue with them, which is my favorite thing to do. And for all these people out here, because everybody has a story, you've written seven books now, what <laughs> advice would you give to a would-be author? Write. Write it. Uh, uh, I think, you know, everybody always asks me that, and I say, well, first of all, you have to put something down on paper. You know, what is it you want to say? And, and, and be clear. 
You know, what is your goal for this book? Who do you want to reach for this book? You know, I knew that I wanted to reach mostly women. When I did Free to Be You and Me, I wanted to reach kids that were like five to 12. You know, you need a, a target. And, and then uh, I think publishers are really want to know what well, you have to tell them what you're trying for so they can help you reach your goal. But oh gosh, if you want to write a book, write it. It's a wonderful experience. And I think the best thing in the world to do is to write your own memoir. That is so lovely. I, I just opened up pockets in my heart and my mind and my soul of things that I, I would wake up in the morning with a whole chapter in my head and think, oh my God, I completely forgot about my grandmother doing that. And I'd run to the computer to write that down. It was Bring just back really, great memories. Oh, it was yeah. great. It was just wonderful, wonderful fun. Well, a lot of people want to have written Somebody once said that. It's another thing to write because that's a labor. You are such a delight and you are a Thank gift you. and you are a great teacher. Thank you. And Thank Meredith you. has her own show coming back. Yeah, We're, so watch. Is it, it's in September, right? Yeah, it's in it's September. It's called Meredith. Well, something like that. I, th I think we wanted to call it Katie Couric, but that was taken, so we're calling it the Meredith Vieira Show. But I hope you like it. But anyway, that's not about me. It's about you. Thank you, Marlo. Congratulations you. Thanks, on the book. Thank Fabulous. You so Thank you. Thank you all for coming, guys.